Philippians 2, verse 19. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray together. Father, as we open up your word, God, we are reminded that you are a God who speaks. That you speak to us through what you have spoken. And God, this morning we ask that you would speak to us. God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to obey what your spirit wants to say to his church this morning. God, I go into this sermon with uh, fear and trembling, Lord, as we talk about the topic of leadership in the church. But God, we believe that you have a word for us here this morning, that you want us to understand, that you want us to take to heart. But Lord, ultimately, you want to reveal more of who you are to us. And so, God, we ask that you would do that. We ask, God, that you would help us to receive your word with receptive hearts this morning. And so, Jesus, um, we ask that you would just move amongst us now, pour out your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, our culture has become very skeptical of leaders. I saw an article recently that was all about how America has been losing confidence in its leaders. And if you just think about it from business to politics to sports, there's this hubris, there's moral failure, there's addictions, there's deceit, there's financial irresponsibility and criminality. And so it's natural that our culture has been losing confidence in leadership. And what this article cited was that among all the fields of leadership, the area of leadership that America is losing confidence in most is in their spiritual leaders. And when you look at the scandals that have taken place from immorality among spiritual leaders to financial impropriety, It's no secret that spiritual leaders are falling out of favor in our culture. Leadership is difficult. 
And we all have been negatively impacted at some point in our life by poor leadership. We all know that power and influence can corrupt a person. But the solution to poor leadership isn't to do away with leadership altogether. The solution to poor leadership is to have healthy leadership. Leaders must be held to a higher standard, especially in the church. But we all need leaders. We need leaders. A home without a leader is not a safe place for people to grow up in. A home without a leader will fall apart. A business without leadership doesn't meet goals and loses focus. A church without leadership fails in its mission to make disciples and people get hurt. With healthy leadership, an organization can grow and flourish. A family can create an environment of safety and thriving. And a church creates a place for healing and growth and equips disciples for mission. Well, the Apostle Paul has been warning the church in Philippi about the presence of dangerous leadership. Those who preach Christ from rivalry and envy and selfish ambition. And our text today is essentially a reference letter from the Apostle Paul for two leaders in the church. These men, their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. Can you imagine having the Apostle Paul as one of your references on a job application? But Paul is referring them to this church as two men who serve as examples to the Philippians who exemplify what Paul has been calling the church to in this letter. Leaders who exemplify unity and humility and putting others before themselves. Timothy and Epaphroditus were leaders in the church and they serve us as an example of healthy leadership. And these traits that we're going to read about them today, they serve as examples not only for pastors, but for anyone in a position of leadership in the church. And these principles actually not only apply to church leaders, but they apply to all Christians who seek to lead by example in any sphere of influence that God has placed them in. But this morning, this context is church leadership, and so that's what we're going to focus on. I want to answer two questions this morning. What should you expect from your leaders? And what should your leaders expect from you? So first, what should you expect from your leaders? The first thing we see here is godly character. It's really interesting to me that the Apostle Paul, in his commendation of these two men, says nothing about their gifts, says nothing about their accomplishments, says nothing about how smart they are. Not that those things are unimportant. But the main thing that Paul points to that qualifies them for leadership is their character. In our culture, we tend to celebrate leaders solely based on their abilities and their accomplishments. We do this in business. We do this in sports. We do this in entertainment. Our culture sort of views good character as a bonus to what they can get done, to what they can accomplish. But this is not to be so in the church. Character is everything. Too often in the church, exceptionally gifted people are given leadership responsibilities based on their abilities 
instead of their proven character. And here's the problem with that. There is a serious possibility that a leader who is extremely gifted can be at the same time spiritually and emotionally harmful to others. The church should never justify abusive leadership. It doesn't make room for manipulation or immoral behavior just because it ends up producing good things. It doesn't work. And it's contrary to basic Christian virtue. It's contrary to the New Testament to justify manipulation and abuse because the outcome is good. A leader's gifting or charisma should never be separated from their character. The means in which leaders do things matters just as much as the ends. That's why the New Testament emphasizes the central role of character and not the central role of gifts. And this isn't an either or. One doesn't compete with the other, but one is more fundamental to the other. You shouldn't expect your leaders to be flawless, but you should expect them to have godly character. You should expect them to be leaders who aren't self-serving. Leaders who don't make everything about themselves. Leaders who consistently point you to Jesus. Healthy leaders can admit when they're wrong. And they model humility and repentance. And they take responsibility for both their actions and for the actions of the people that they lead. And Paul says of Timothy in verse 21, speaking of these dangerous leaders, He says, they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But speaking of Timothy, he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. A healthy leader is always submitted to good leadership themselves. That's why the New Testament sets forth the model of shared leadership in the church. That the church is to be led by a plurality of elders and deacons. Plurality is essential for accountability and for wisdom and for support. The Bible says in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. No one is fit for leadership who isn't themselves submitted to leadership. And knows what it is to be tested under leadership themselves. Paul could talk here about Timothy's proven worth because he had been under Paul's leadership and his character had been tested. Listen, the scriptures are clear that the most important qualification for church leadership is godly character. It's the most important thing. Everything comes secondary to that. Some of you know my story, but uh, I was sent out to plant a church when I was in my early 20s. And um, probably the reason for that was I was ambitious and I could teach the Bible. I went through no process. I had no um, buddy pressing in to my character beforehand. I had nobody pressing into my home life or asking me hard questions about my marriage. And so as a young and relatively untested leader, I was sent out to start a church and to pastor a church. And by God's grace, I didn't fall morally or shipwreck my marriage 
But I ended up hurting a lot of people through poor leadership decisions. I was defensive. I was insecure. I was leading from a place where I felt like I was always needing to prove something. And that's a terrible motivation for ministry, by the way. It was a character flaw, a huge character flaw that I didn't see in myself and could have benefited by other more mature godly leaders seeing in me first. So I could have dealt with it. And this doesn't mean that I wasn't called to plant a church. And it doesn't mean that I wasn't the right person to do it. It simply means that I wasn't ready. A church must be very discerning about the people that they give authority to. And you must be very discerning about the leaders that you follow. Have they been tested? Are they leading among a community of other leaders who have authority to call them out when they need to be? How do they respond to correction? Are they quick to confess and repent? Or do they hide things and shift blame? You see, these are the type of things that reveal the true character of a leader. How they deal with conflict. How they deal with correction. Especially for the church, the character of a leader is far more important than anything that they could accomplish. And so godly character is the most important thing that we, that you, should expect from your leaders. The second thing we see in the text that you should expect from your leaders is sacrificial love. Paul says of Timothy in verse 20, For I have no one like him. I mean, that's quite a statement. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And he talks about Epaphroditus' deep concern for the church. That Epaphroditus is upset because he knows you're upset that he's not doing well. And we even see it in Paul's leadership too. Think about it. Paul is in prison. Timothy has this son-father relationship with him. No doubt, Timothy has been a huge encouragement to Paul while he's in prison. And yet Paul is sending Timothy to Philippi because he knows that they would benefit from his presence there. We see this love for the church that drives this willingness to make sacrifices for their good. Love must be the greatest motivation for leadership in the church. When Christian leaders try to lead apart from love, not only does the whole church suffer, but they lose the very thing that is supposed to make us distinct in the world. And there's a lot of baggage in our culture around the word love today. So how does the Bible define love? How does Jesus define love? Well, it's the love that we see in the gospel. A biblical definition for love is actively pursuing the good of another at cost to ourselves without requiring any merit or demanding anything in return. Let me say that again. Here's a biblical definition of love. Actively pursuing the good of another at cost to ourselves without requiring any merit or demanding anything in return. You see, this biblical love, this Christ-like love, it's not about good vibes. It's not about feelings. 
Love is sacrificial. You should expect your leaders in the church to actively pursue your good, even at cost to themselves. This is what it means to love people like Jesus. Church, listen. A church can have huge attendance, beautiful buildings, amazing worship, powerful preaching. They can accomplish so many amazing things. But if those things are done without love, it means nothing. 1 Corinthians 13. You're probably familiar with these verses very well. We think that there, it's, uh, it's talking about weddings usually, but it's, it's actually talking about the church. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 3, Paul says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Those were instruments used in pagan worship, by the way. He says, and if I had all prophetic powers and understood all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Listen, leaders can have supernatural speech. Say the most profound things. Grip a crowd. Captivate everyone's attention. Have deep spiritual authority. They know the Bible really well. They know how to connect the dots between Scripture and people's lives. But authority, apart from love, always becomes exploitive. If we don't have love within our authority, at some point it will become exploitive. It will be used as a means to feed the ego instead of a means to build people up. And Paul says, in the end, that won't last. A leader can have all the answers, can connect all the dots, but knowledge apart from love leads to pride. And it often manifests itself in this sort of aloofness where people are analyzed, but they're not loved. Have you ever experienced that from someone? Maybe a family member, a friend, a boss, a pastor? where they can explain everything that's wrong with you and seem to be able to reveal so many things about you and what you should do. And honestly, it's frustrating because a lot of the time they're right, but they don't love you. They were right, but their knowledge didn't come from a place of love. Listen, you can have all the knowledge and all the insight. You can be so right. You can have all the facts on your side. And if you're right without love, you're wrong. If you're married, you can make your own application with that one. (laughs) Sometimes leaders can be drawn to grow in their capacity to know things more than be drawn in their capacity to grow in loving people. So as leaders, we pursue more and more knowledge. We read all the books. We listen to all the podcasts. Even though we know so well that the happiness that we enjoy or the suffering that we endure does not depend on what we know, but on whether we're loved. But the pursuit of knowing things is really compelling. And here's probably the reason why. Because widening our capacity to know things immediately translates to power. 
and widening our capacity to love immediately translates to service. And one is just far more seductive, isn't it? As leaders, before we speak into one another's lives, the question we should all ask ourselves is, am I seeking to love this person right now? I think some people are drawn to leadership because they like to hear themselves talk. It's possible to love our gift way more than we love people. As a leader, am I seeking to impress people or am I seeking to love them? Am I using my gifts to serve people or am I using people to serve my gifts? These are difficult questions for leaders to wrestle with. But you should expect that your leaders have and continue to wrestle with these questions. You should expect your leaders to make time for you. You should expect your leaders to show you the dignity that you deserve as an image bearer of God. You should expect your leaders to lead you with grace. In the church, you should expect that your leaders love you and that they have genuine concern for your well-being. Good leadership will always seek to love you like Jesus. The most loving thing your leaders can do is seek to put the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit on display in the way that they lead and care for you. To always point you back to Jesus. Which leads to the third thing that you can expect from your leaders. Imperfection. Your leaders have limits. They have flaws. They are sinners in need of grace, just like you are a sinner in need of grace. What qualifies a leader in the church is not moral perfection. It's that they have consistently demonstrated over time and in community a willingness to lead by example in repentance and accountability and a pursuit of holiness. That they themselves are following Jesus and are willing to stand before God to give an account for the way that they loved and led his people. But all human leaders are limited. We see this here in our text. Paul was limited in his ability to care for the church in Philippi. He was in prison. And so he sends Timothy and Epaphroditus. We learn elsewhere that Paul wasn't a very good public speaker. Epaphroditus has health issues and almost dies in his effort to bring this letter to Paul. These men were limited. In 1 Timothy, we read that Timothy was insecure about his age. And he had stomach issues that hindered his leadership. Every leader has limitations. You should expect godly character and sacrificial love from your leaders. But you can't expect them to be perfect. Your leaders will disappoint you. I will disappoint you. I might be disappointing you right now with this sermon. (laughs) If I haven't disappointed you yet, just give me more time. But our job as leaders is to point you to Jesus. The one who bled for you. The one who was pierced for you. You can expect qualified and called leaders but there are no perfect leaders. At the end of the day, at its best, human leadership can only reflect the perfect leadership of our King, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the leader 
that we all need. He's the leader we need most. He's the leader that we're all looking for. Jesus is the king we must all submit to. He is the king who reigns with humility and love. He is the king who uses his authority to lay down his life for you on the cross. He is the king without limits who conquered sin and death by rising from the dead. And Jesus is the head of the church. He is the senior pastor. He is the chief shepherd. And our leaders are imperfect reflections of his leadership. And so that's what you should expect from your leaders. Godly character, sacrificial love, and imperfection. What can your leaders expect from you? First of all, your leaders should expect that you are following Jesus with us. That you are seeking to align your lives around the teaching of Scripture. That you are committed to following Jesus in community. Your leaders should expect that from you. That you are following Jesus in the same way that we are. You're opening your homes with hospitality. You're sharing meals together, praying for each other, meeting each other's needs, being generous with what God has given you. You're gathering with us for worship. You're scattering with us for mission. This is what it means to be the church. This is what your leaders should expect from you. That you are committed to put down roots where God has planted you. That you're following Jesus right alongside us. That's our expectation of you. That you also want to follow Jesus. Second thing that your leaders can expect from you is that you're willing to follow their leadership. The scariest verse in the Bible for leaders is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's not easy to stand up here as a leader and read that verse to you, but it's the Bible. You should keep your leaders accountable to do the things that they're supposed to do. You should keep them accountable to keep it all about Jesus. You should keep us accountable to shepherd you, to invest in you, to protect you from wolves and false teachers, to care for your souls. And then we should expect you to yield to the work that God wants to do in your life through those that he has set over you. And if you can't follow our leadership, that's okay. But you need to find a church where you can follow their leadership. Because no matter where you end up, God is going to require that of you. Notice again what Paul says to the church. In verse 29, He says, so receive them in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. I think part of our growth and maturity as followers of Jesus is learning how to honor people well. I don't think the church does a very good job of honoring each other. We tend to be a little squeamish when it comes to affirmations. We're really good at criticisms, but a little squeamish about 
Encouragement. How can you honor your leaders? Well, I've, I have two things that you can do to honor your leaders in this church. The first one is pray for your leaders. Pray for us. Listen, church, knowing that you guys are praying for us is so encouraging. God hears your prayers. It's powerful. It makes a huge difference. Please pray for your leaders. Pray that they would know Jesus more deeply, that they would minister and serve from an overflow of who God is. Pray that we would receive wisdom from the Holy Spirit in our decision-making. Pray against the attacks of the evil one for our families. Pray for us. The second way you can honor your leaders is by encouraging your leaders. And I would just say, don't worry about puffing up your leaders. God sees their hearts. God will deal with their hearts. Your affirmations, when you've seen God's grace in us as leaders, is so encouraging. It's so strengthening. It affirms our calling. It gives us endurance. And that word encourage literally means to put courage into somebody. And so be encouragers. And by the way, we should all be encouraging each other a whole lot more in the church. Just pouring courage into each other by building each other up. Leadership is difficult and your encouragement goes a long way. The last thing that we should expect or that we can expect from you, that leaders can expect, is that you let your leaders do their job with joy. Paul says, receive them in the Lord with all joy. And that verse we just read in Hebrews 13, did you notice? He says, yeah, obey your leaders and submit to them. And he says, do this without groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let me just say this. None of us as leaders are above questioning and pushback. In fact, we value it. To see people in the church who care enough about the church and want to make us better and come to us with feedback or even pushback if they're wrestling with something that we've done or said, it's really encouraging. But the thing that I would warn against is becoming a professional critic. We can handle complaints. We can handle criticisms. But I would just give this encouragement. Don't complain until you first prayed for us. Pray for us. Pray over us. And then you can complain. And we can handle it. I would say don't just watch us and rate us as leaders. Join us. Join us in the work that God is doing in this church and in Carpinteria. Church, every single one of you is playing a very important and significant role in God's story for the city of Carpinteria, whether you realize it or not. And as your leaders, we want to invite you to join us in what God is doing. We are better together. You need leaders, we need leaders, and we need each other to accomplish this mission that Jesus has called us to, to make disciples of Jesus in the city of Carpinteria. Just on a personal note, this last point of letting your leaders do their job with joy, I just want to say how thankful I am for all of you. 
This church has been through a lot over the past several years. Leaders have come and gone. There's been so much transition. Moving out of a building where you were there for 20 years. Moving to a school auditorium, becoming a portable church. Losing Pastor Nick a few months ago. You've all been through a lot. But I can just say, honestly, that on behalf of my family and I, you have received us with great joy. And I'm incredibly thankful to you all for doing that. You've made this transition for us so much easier by being such a community marked by love and grace and kindness. And so I just want to affirm that in you. This church has had a reputation for a long time of being known for its love. And it's evident in the way that you love one another. And so thank you for welcoming me into this community and allowing me to be one of your pastors. I feel incredibly honored to do that. And you enable me to do that with great joy. Church, as we close, I just want you to take comfort in the fact that God is leading you somewhere. Leadership is a reflection that God is taking us somewhere. He loves us too much to leave us where we're at, to leave us static. And we all need guides along this journey. We all do. And if you're a leader in this church, a deacon, a kids ministry leader, a home group leader, a worship leader, a leader of volunteers, I want you to know that your leadership is making a difference. And at the end of the day, all of us are given some sphere in life where we are seeking to live by example for others to follow. Whether it's in our marriages, with our children, in in workplaces. And I want to encourage all of us to lead with character and lead with love. And if you do those two things, you will be on the right path. Everything else you can learn along the way. But those two things are essential. Church, Jesus is leading us somewhere. He's leading us into new creation, ultimately. He's leading us to himself. He's leading us into something better. And if you're here today and you've been hurt by leadership in the past, and you struggle to trust leaders today, I want to say I'm sorry for that. It's not okay. We want this to be a place where you can heal from those wounds and that you can learn to trust again. But the only way that's going to happen is if you turn those wounds over to Jesus to allow him to bring healing to those parts of your heart. And so my question for us before we begin to worship again is will you trust where Jesus is leading you? As king, he uses his authority to give himself to you. And you don't relegate a king's authority to one area of your life. If Jesus is king, then he deserves all of you. And since he is a humble king, then to follow him means that we too will have to put others before ourselves, use power to serve, and lay down our lives out of love for one another. And since Jesus is both king and priest, We can trust his leadership because he knows what it is to be human. He knows our frailty. He knows our weakness. And he leads us with love and compassion.
Let's pray. Jesus, we humble ourselves before you as king. Jesus, you rule and you reign over your creation, over your people, over your church. And God, we are so grateful for the way that you lead us. That you are gentle and lowly. That you lead us with compassion and kindness and gentleness. That you are patient with us. God, we can be a stubborn and stiff-necked people. But you consistently come to us with kindness, drawing us in by your spirit, calling us back to yourself. And God, that's a kind of leadership that we can all submit to. The leadership of Jesus, our King. God, I pray that in whatever aspect of lives we seek to lead by example, that we would reflect the kind of way that you lead and care for us. And so God, would you grow us in these things? We're not perfect. We're sinful. We're flawed. But may we be, kick, may we be quick, rather, to take those flaws and to take those insufficiencies and sin and lay them at your feet as bosses, as husbands, as mothers, as wives, as employers. Lord, wherever you have us leading in our lives, may we just be quick to run to you with our deficiencies and our sin, believing that in you we receive grace and healing in time of need so that you can restore us and send us out to be an influence of love and truth and goodness in this world. God, may your church reflect that. May Reality Carpinteria reflect that by your grace. So Jesus, we come to you now. Help us to respond to this work that you are doing in our spirit, in, in your spirit. Help us to come to you with faith and repentance and trust. We believe that you are here in this place now. So meet us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.